Sirius XM presents Stanford Pathfinders. Stanford has 225,000 alumni living all over the globe in 151 countries. And they're some of the most amazing people you would ever want to meet. A show about how the graduates of Stanford University are changing our lives and the world. We'll hear very interesting things from business leaders in the technology sector, but well beyond that. The worlds of politics, entertainment, business, and beyond. Inspiring stories from America's innovation heartland. It's a place where people look to the the future, not to the past, where they don't rest on their laurels. Think about the gold rush. Think about Stanford being formed in the late 1800s. And then Stanford was the beginning of Silicon Valley. And the ethos of Silicon Valley is deeply embedded in the Stanford spirit. It's a spirit of innovation, experimentation. It's a spirit of being willing to try new things and risk failure as long as you fail forward. Welcome to Stanford Pathfinders. This week on Stanford Pathfinders, a venture capitalist who always knew he wanted more than a career in business. There's something about basketball that always has attracted me and I always wanted to own an NBA franchise. An alum of the Stanford Graduate School of Business whose present success isn't stopping him from thinking about the future. We are, we're a steward. I absolutely feel that that's true and I think we have to act very responsibly as a result of that. Today on Stanford Pathfinders, Golden State Warriors owner and CEO, Joe Lacob. Here's your host, Howard Wolf. Stanford's Graduate School of Business, or the GSB as it is fondly known, boasts an amazing array of alumni who have gone on to build wonderful careers in numerous industries. From finance to tech and real estate to consumer packaged goods, Stanford has put its imprint on many industries. Today's alumni guest on Stanford Pathfinders, however, is in a very special industry. It is a business endeavor known well by nearly all, but that employs very few. It's an industry that operates unlike any other on most all levels. And it's a profession that is under a microscope 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Welcome to the world of professional sports. Joe Lakeup is the CEO of the NBA's Golden State Warriors, where he is also the managing member of the ownership group. The Warriors are the talk of the league, being only one of four teams to win three NBA titles in a span of four seasons, having won most recently in 2015, 17, and 18. And the team is successful off the court as well, having been named Sports Team of the Year by the Sports Business Turtle in 2014 and 2016. And personally, Lakeup was named the 2016 recipient of the Sports Executive of the Year Award by the Sports Business Journal. Lakeup's NBA and professional sports experience dates back over two decades, including a five-year tenure as minority owner of the Boston Celtics. Professionally, Lakeup began his career at venture capital firm Kleiner Perkins Caulfield and Byers, in 1987, where he has led investments in over 50 startup companies across multiple fields in life sciences and medical technologies, the internet and energy. In this transition from the world of venture capital to that of professional sports is one of the things that makes today's guests so truly fascinating. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you, appreciate it. So you grew up modestly, first in Massachusetts and then Southern California, but now you're the majority owner in one of the most celebrated sports franchises in the world. I gotta believe that uh, it's kind of surreal to you. Is this crazy? Well, sometimes it feels a little crazy. For those that know me, however, I don't reflect a lot on the past. I'm always <laughs> looking forward. So uh, I, ask, I get asked this question a lot. Well, this must be insane. This is crazy. How can you, you want to sit around and think about it all day? No, I don't. Because I'm usually thinking about the next thing. And I've always been that way. And uh, it, is, it, is, it has been a great run. It's been eight years and we have a lot going on and a lot of success. But, but I'm, I'm frankly moving on. 
So let's talk a little bit about the game of basketball. So when you lived on the East Coast, you were a Celtics fan. And then I understand when you moved to Southern California, as I did, I moved from the East Coast to Southern California really? when I was 12. And then you became a Lakers fan, as I did. Yeah. And now, of course, you're the majority owner of the Golden State Warriors. So why basketball? What is it about basketball that attracts you so deeply? I tell this story a lot. I was nine or 10 years old, and I was in New Bedford, Massachusetts, where I grew up, a small town, which I've only been back to, by the way, twice in the last 50 years. It'll be 50 years coming up here this next year. Twice I've returned. So that might tell you something. But I remember going to a boys' club, and I saw a hardwood floor for the first time when I was nine or 10 years old, and I loved basketball playing outside, and all of a sudden I was like, I was so fascinated with that. And I played on it, you know, whatever I did. I don't even remember, to be honest with you. But I just had, ever since then, the fact that the Boston Celtics were as great as they were at the time in the 60s, I've had this fascination with it. And all my life, I've just sort of wanted to be around basketball. And I don't know when, but at some point I decided I want to buy a basketball team. But like little kids think, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a surgeon. I want to be a policeman. Were you growing up thinking, I want to own a basketball team? I did. I actually Seriously. Did. Yeah, I know. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? It sounds absolutely crazy, and I, I think about that now, and I say for a kid to think that is there's something wrong with them. But I, I did. I, I played, and I kind of always knew I wouldn't be good enough to be a great player. But I just I wanted to be around sports, and I loved the NBA most of all. I did love baseball, too. But uh, I, just, I just always wanted to do that. That was my dream someday. You know, you go through preparing in high school and college, and, you know, I wound up being uh, in venture capital and so on for a long, long time. And I loved it. I still love it. But— there's something about basketball that always has attracted me, and I always wanted to own an NBA franchise. So let's talk about the business side of owning an NBA franchise. <clears throat> There's a lot made about the fact that you've brought a venture capitalist's sensibility to the ownership of the team, that a lot of teams are owned by people that built a business on their own and then try to bring that same skill set to the operations of the team, but you've come at it in a different way, with a different perspective, informed by your background as a venture guy. Tell us about that and how that plays out. I think that's true, and I think it's helped me. You always draw upon all your experiences in life, you know, for whatever you're going to do next, perhaps. But in my case, 30 years of starting companies, of building businesses, of hiring people, and sometimes, unfortunately, firing people, thinking about strategy and so on, I think it affected the way I approached this maybe more than other people. Some people, you know, have owned these teams a long time. They inherited them. Some people have, you know, bought them. They come from different businesses. They don't live in the city uh, where it operates. For me, it was all about operating it. It was all about being a part of it. It was always about doing it in the city that you where you are, being the face, if you will. And being uh, a lot of the stuff I did in venture capital, all the, the, the people we hired, the companies that we created, I think it had an impact on the way we built the team. So when I think about the venture business, you're backing entrepreneurs, you're backing founders of companies. So in the metaphor of venture capital to sports teams, who's the founder? Who's the entrepreneur? Is it the coach? Is it the player? How does that work? I haven't really thought about it quite that way. I mean, the players are the key figures. You can't win without the players. And in fact, they not only are the guys that affect how the product is delivered and how successful it is, but in the case like a Steph Curry, very important to setting the culture of the team on the floor and around what's on the floor. And he has a lot to do with that with our organization. But I would say, I, I mean, not without being boastful or arrogant in any way, I do think the owners of these teams have a huge impact, whether you like it or not, whether you want it 
to be the guy that has to have that impact or not, you do. And I think that's what happens with some of these teams is that the owners aren't really involved. They don't really know what's going on and you have hired help and hired help is never going to do or think about it the same way that you're going to think about it if you're the owner and you're thinking about it every single moment of every day. And is it possible that some of the owners also are too involved because they're managing the coach like they would manage um, somebody in a line below them in an organization as opposed to maybe the way that you interacted with entrepreneurs? I don't agree with that. Okay. I know I know that's the common theme. I know that's what people like to say. Oh, that owner's meddling. I, I, I really don't like that word. Okay. No, the issue is about, there are two different things. If you're a micromanager, that's not a good thing. You don't want to micromanage. You want to hire great people and let them do their jobs. And I do. I let them do their jobs. But I know everything that's going on in our organization, from basketball to the business side to the real estate side, whatever we're doing. And I think to be a good owner, you do need to know everything that's going on all the time so that you can make informed and reasonably quick decisions when required. So you talked about real estate. You broke ground in January of 2017 on Chase Center, the Warriors' state-of-the-art sports and entertainment complex set to open about a year from now, the fall of 2019. So how did you go about deciding to move the team from Oakland to San Francisco? And what has been the biggest surprise with regards to that choice? Because oh, this was a big uh, deal here in the Bay Area. Yeah, no, it is. a very well, It's a big deal for us, too. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's a, one of the hardest things I've ever done. Because you've got a really deeply installed base of fans. I know everyone wants to talk about that. I don't really think that's such a big issue. Okay. We are the Bay Area's basketball team. There's Golden only State one Warriors. NBA team. We're called the Golden State Warriors. But the truth is, San Francisco, San Jose, Oakland, Marin, Napa, way out in the Central Valley— even there, uh, down to Monterey, everywhere you go around here, these are these are fans of the Golden State Warriors. Whether we moved eight miles across the bay is not that big of a thing. And I, I've said that, and people say, oh, you're denigrating the East Bay fans. No, I'm not. 50% of our ticket base comes from the West Bay, roughly, and 50% of our ticket base comes from the East Bay. So it's pretty much split. When we move across the bay, the truth is we found the one location. And by the way, we looked in the East Bay. We just couldn't find a location, couldn't do a deal. And so being someone who's action-oriented, I didn't want to sit here for a decade and try to figure this out. I wanted to get something done. And so what we did is we found a piece of land. We didn't use any public funds. We just said we're going to go buy that land. And privately, every single dollar, we have gone and built this arena and everything around it. And the truth is that it's a great location because those in the East Bay, and I, I go to Oakland right now. Every three days a week, let's say, I go up there. I drive home to the peninsula where I live over the Bay Bridge. At 6 o'clock at night, when you would be going to a game, there's basically no traffic. It's 20 minutes in. You also have BART from the East Bay. So I think a lot of people are going to be surprised with how easy it is for those fans to get from the East Bay to these games in the evening. San Francisco, obviously, in the West Bay, it's closer. We don't have to go over bridge. So it's actually a really great central location. And here's the, the simple fact. The simple fact is it's all in the numbers. We're going through our season ticket holder base in the order, in the sequence that they have been Ticket holders, and we have 80%, 80% are converting from current season ticket holders in Oakland, it, at Oracle, to the new arena. The marketplace has spoken. They have spoken. All right, scale of 1 to 10, how great is this new arena going to be? Well, uh, I sure hope it's going to be great because we put a lot of money and a lot of time <laughs> into this thing. Uh, I do believe we've spent so much time in thinking about it, and I, I, I would like to say this. From day one— the way I've thought about this and we've thought about this is it's basketball first. It is a basketball arena. Sight lines, noise, you know, 
the experience is all about being the best basketball arena we can possibly be. And not a new age basketball arena which has ceilings that are 140 feet high and you know, the sound dissipates, but rather a very low ceiling. The, actually, the lower bowl is very similar to Oracle, which has actually a great vibe in its lower bowl. So it's basketball first, concerts second, and everything else after that. And we designed the whole building like that. So I think people are going to be surprised because it's going to have all the modern-day accoutrements, you know, fantastic places to eat inside the arena and all around it in the 11 acres that we have built in our part, as part of this. But also the whole experience of watching a game should be, if we've done our job correctly, as good as it gets. All right, let's go back to basketball. The Warriors have been nothing short of an amazing success story in recent history. What, three out of the last four years, you've won, you know, world titles and what have you. So what's the secret to the success of the Warriors? I've read that you've said it's really a ton of little things. Is that true? Is it, is it a ton of little things? I think it is. What does that mean? Because everyone always wants to look in everything in life, you know, the one big, simple answer that can explain everything. And whether it be, you know, politics or whether it be, and I just don't think the world, it's just not that simple. To build a great company, it takes a lot of things to go right, a lot. You know, hiring the right people in all different parts of the organization, having the right strategy, having the right capitalization. I've had companies 70 of them that I've started over the last 30 years myself. And I got to tell you, I've had them succeed and I've had them fail. And they could do everything right except one thing maybe they didn't do right. They didn't have the right capital structure or they didn't hire the right CEO. That's the biggest one. And the, the truth is it, it could fail and does fail. So you really, unfortunately, to be really successful at something, you have to do a lot of little things right. You have to pay great attention to detail. And I think yeah, there's a couple of big things, certainly. Having, you know, Steph Curry and Ben racing around the three-point shot, sure, that was a big key to success. Hiring Rick Welts, a tremendously experienced president in the NBA for 40 years of experience, just got inducted into the Hall of Fame. Sure, that was really important. Call it luck, call it whatever, but to be able to recognize a Bob Myers who had not been a GM before to be the GM and is now the executive of the year in the NBA twice— in his six years, I mean, a tremendous talent, right? To hire a coach who hadn't been a coach. A coach who'd never been a coach. So there, are, you could call all these things the key thing or not the key thing. But the truth is, without everybody else in the organization, even those things aren't enough. We have to pay attention every single day and try to do things right. You go to the game, and if you're having a bad experience, people are going to hear about it. Someone's going to hear about it. We've got to do that right. So we have to do it. A lot of little things. We have to pay attention to detail. We have to be kind of relentless relentless about this pursuit of excellence in all dimensions of the business. And this is not do this is not just the Warriors. This is not just a sports team. This is any business. Relentless pursuit of excellence in every regard in your organization. That's how you build a great company. So you've brought that same acumen, that same focus that you had in the venture world to the way that you operate the Warriors. I think a lot of it, yes. I think a lot of it, yes. And I think it's a little different, perhaps, some of the things that I've done maybe that uh, that some other organizations might not have done. Some of the hires you were talking about have to do with my own personal experience with entrepreneurs and with young executives. I believe, for instance, and this is the kind of thing I think you're looking for, in every startup that becomes a great company, you can look at it and you say, well, who was the guy that led them to be great? And I would say to you, most of the time, with the exception of maybe a Bill Gates or, I don't know, Michael Dell, a few of these guys, there's a great startup guy that got that thing going, a great entrepreneur. And then somewhere along the way, there was someone else you hired that was the right executive to take it from a not really small startup idea and scale it to be something good size, medium size. And then 
Usually, before it becomes a really large company, you need something even different. You need someone who can run a large operation and really integrate a lot of things. So I always argue there's three different leaders of an organization over the lifespan of a successful organization. Not always, but often. And I think that's the way you have to think about the right people at the right time in these organizations. So that's a great segue to talk about managerial courage. You fired a very successful coach in Mark Jackson and were criticized for doing so. But then you took the team to a new level with a new coach. So where did that courage come from? Because that was a little bit orthogonal, that, that thought that Mark Jackson wasn't your guy. And is that something that you learned from your, your time at Kleiner Perkins? I, you know, you just have to recognize in an organization, how good do you want to be? And do you have the right person at different times in the development of that organization? And I think in the case of our team, in our organization, Mark Jackson was actually really good. I give him a lot of credit. Look, I hired him. I thought he changed the culture of the basketball team. He made them fighters. He made them tough. He introduced things into that team that we did not have when we first bought the team. I give him a ton of credit. He was the right guy to take it from, you know, 23 wins or whatever it was to 51 wins. Unfortunately, it was my decision, our decision, if you will, that we didn't think we could get to the greatness level that we desired beyond that with him as our coach. Now, it doesn't mean I could be wrong. He Maybe he could have done it. But we felt we had to go a little bit differently. Steve Kerr embodies that. You know, he's he's incredible level, level of strategic thinking about basketball. And if you watched what he's done over the last four years, it's been historically great. Well, this is like you at the start of our talk. You said, I don't reflect a lot backwards. I don't. I look forward. I really don't. So it's sunk cost. Forget about that. It's we sunk move cost. Forward. It's over. It's done. It doesn't matter. It's great. You know, we've won these three titles. I'll bet you, though, if we finish last next year, a lot of people are saying Joe Lacob's an idiot. <laughs> right? I mean, that's the truth. That's what goes along with this. So well, That's owned in a sports team, right? I mean, it's not just in sports. It's in anything. So I do believe you have to be constantly looking. It Look, it's it actually may be harder to stay great than get great, right? And... We have to work really hard to do that. All right, so the Warriors are going to be great this year. I live in the Bay Area. I'm a big fan. Warriors are going to be great. But you just mentioned if we have a losing season, everyone's going to say that Joe Lacob's an idiot. They'll say different things. What's it like to be an owner, the major owner, the CEO of this organization that is, by many standards for people in the Bay Area, they consider it a public trust. Like, you may own it, but it's really theirs. And I agree. And and. That's interesting. So that, that is the way you feel as well. I do, because it's very simple. I'm not going to be here forever. You're not going to be here forever. We're all moving, passing through. At some point, this organization will belong to my kids, or they'll be, you know, own the team, or somebody else beyond that. So the truth is, the Golden State Warriors will still be here. So you're a steward for a certain period I, of time. I think we are. We're a steward. I absolutely feel that that's, that's true, and I think we have to act very responsibly as a result of that. On the other hand, while I'm here, <laughs> you know, it's my job to run this thing and to do the best job I can for my shareholders and for our fans and for our people in the organization and our players and everyone else. So when things don't go well, though, and the public, the fans take it out on you personally, that can't feel good. Well, I mean, that didn't no. happen to you in the venture <laughs> business that much, right? No. Because it wasn't that public. No, you're not very public. You're very, no one knows who you are right. pretty much in the venture business compared to this. In fact, this is probably about as public as you can get. It's as bad as it can yeah. get. Yeah, you're every single thing you say and do at any moment, especially with social media nowadays, it's all public. Right. And I try to tell people in our organization all the time, no, ma you may think you're tweeting uh, or you're doing a private Facebook post or whatever. It's all public. 
I just want to let you know, this is very public what we're doing right now. <laughs> it is. Okay. It is. I know. So, you know, the easiest thing to do with when things are public, just tell the truth all the time. <laughs> do you say you're doing your best, tell the truth and work as hard as you can and let the chips fall where they may. All right. So <laughs> you run the show. But minority owner and Hollywood icon Peter Goober um, has equal standing with you. He, he comes from the world of movies, music, sports, and media to the ownership team. So why was that partnership important to you? And what, what does he bring to the mix? Because he's not a basketball guy. No. Peter is co-chairman with me, and you know, I'm the largest shareholder and CEO, so it's a little different. I'm the one who has to be on the firing line every day, perhaps. But the truth is... When we start something like this, like in venture capital, this is one of those lessons. When we did start a venture capital, I did, you're never 100% owner of a company. You, in that business, you own 20%. You own 30%. Sometimes you own, might own a little more, sometimes a little less. You have to be a partner. You have to understand how the word partner is spelt. And I spell it with a capital P. And so that 30 years of experience helps when we were putting together this team, I said, the first thing I need to do is figure out what I don't know and get help because I could have gone and bought the whole thing and done it myself and whatever. But, you know, that wouldn't be very much fun and it would entail a lot of risk. So Peter was the first person I spoke to because I'd known him before and I thought he was an incredibly complimentary, you know, very complimentary person to me. He knew all about the entertainment industry. That I didn't know about that at all, really. He's just very different. And you knew so him from ways. other walks of your life? I'd met him actually and uh, we almost acquired a sports team together prior to that like three years prior. I see. And I got to know him and I really liked him a lot. And he has been a phenomenal partner by the way. So he was the first person and then we went upon not only him but we then went together and said we're going to bring in other people many of them friends of mine who are going to be limited partners perhaps smaller in terms of economic uh, interest but people who are going to be friends partners and advisors and they have helped for instance in you know acquiring real estate for a new project or building this new arena or or other things. They're all very, very useful and very, very helpful. And the most important thing, we, I, get to enjoy the experience with friends. We, I, get to go travel to the playoff games and have all these parties. It's like a party. And that's fun. You don't want to do this alone. You want to do this with other people. And I feel like we do it with all our fans now. It's a big party. But the truth is, those core, that core group of people, those other owners, are very important to me. They're, they're, I, I use them as soundboards. We use them as soundboards. And I, and I really enjoy that interaction. So the Golden State Warriors are what percentage athletics and what percentage entertainment? I would say 50-50. So it's a big, yeah. a big component of this is oh, yeah. entertainment. Yeah, look, the, this is a business. And that's uh, why they're, the stars are paid what they're paid. Sure. It, it's a business. Now, having said all that, you have to put your uh, understand your priorities. For me, for us— our priority, without question, undisputably, is winning. Okay? Winning is a really important thing. That's what this is about. It's sports. And I, I wish the, the listeners could be here in this studio right now seeing you say that because you lit up when you talked about winning. Winning is what it's about. If you win, so many other aspects of this go well. Right. You could have the greatest entertainment in the world, but if you're a losing team, it just has a different And also, why cast. do you want to do this if you... I mean, there are other things you can do in life where winning isn't important. It's, you know, it's being part of something or whatever. But in this case, it's about winning games. It's about winning championships. This is Stanford Pathfinders. I'm Howard Wolf. More with Golden State Warriors owner and CEO Joe Lakeup next on Sirius XM Insight 121. This is Stanford Pathfinders. I'm Howard Wolf, and I'm speaking with Golden State Warriors owner and CEO Joe Lakeup. 
So let's talk about listening skills. I've heard you describe yourself as a professional listener. Mm-hmm. What does that mean, and, and how should our listeners think about that? Well, I do recognize that I don't have all the answers. In fact, not even close. I only have a couple of functions. One is to recognize who are the good people and the right people to hire into positions. Hopefully then to set up a management and a a situation where they can do their jobs and a culture in which they can all exist, including the players as well. Beyond that, and set high goals. That's the second job I have. Set very high goals and a vision for this organization. Beyond that, I do a lot of listening to what they have to say, what the fans have to say, what the players have to say. And... You know, people are not dumb. They, If you listen carefully, you're going to hear things that you should understand and know about your business and about what you're doing. And that's why I think you have to be a professional listener. You can't just be talking all the time and try to respond when appropriate to some of those concerns. They're not always correct because in the age of social media, you know, one person can have a very loud voice. That doesn't mean they're right. So we do have to sort of parse all that. But I think listening is very, very important. And I learned that in the business world over a lot of years. All right, so let's assume this isn't the Stanford Pathfinder show, and let's instead assume this is sports radio. What's this season going to be like for the Golden State Warriors? And what should we be looking at? Which players are you excited about? Which teams scare the heck out of you? And at the end, when you win the championship again, what will you look back and be most excited about? Well, look, I do think that we have a very, very good team. I think we have our best team. Best team ever. The best we've ever constructed, yes. Wow. So I think Bob Myers has done a great job and the guys that work with him. And Steve Kerr and our coaching staff, we we know they're really good. And Steve's healthy? Steve's pretty healthy. And and we know they're really good, right? They've proven themselves. So I think we have a great team. But, you know, we have to prove it on the court. It is basketball. You have to stay injury-free. And the truth is, as I said before, other teams are always getting better. And it always shocks me. Every year when you go into a season, everyone makes their all their prognostications. And then some team sort of is a lot better than you thought, right? right. Because they drafted somebody that, that was better. Look at Utah, Donovan Mitchell. Nobody really saw that coming. It's sports. That's what's fun. You don't know. You don't see it coming all the time. So we have 29 other teams on our tail. And they are on our tail because we are the champions. We have to prove it again. It's starting all over again. That stuff really doesn't mean much, truthfully. We can't sit on our laurels. We got to go prove it all over again. It's kind of fun in a way, right? It's invigorating because every year is a new, uh, a new day, a new year. And so I, I think that it's going to be a great team. I think we have a great starting lineup. We have potentially five all-stars with the addition of, of DeMarcus, DeMarcus Cousins, when he gets healthy. I mean, it's got to be our best team on paper. We've got some young players that we're going to play a lot this year that I think you're going to see develop and get better. I'm very encouraged by that. And I think that, you know, if, if we just do our job and keep our heads straight uh, on straight, by the end of the year, we should be right there. And I do think USS, which teams are going to be, Im, you know, important out there to watch. Certainly Houston is going to be very good again. We saw that last year. They almost beat us. Okay. That's the truth. That's the truth. The Celtics, going to be great. I mean, they've got so much talent. They are really coming. They are good. Philadelphia is coming. Uh, in the West, there are other teams. The Lakers, you know, with LeBron, I saw your face light up as soon as I said the word LeBron. Well, I was going to ask you about LeBron, <laughs> so you, you beat were. me to it. I think LeBron, look, I think they're going to be a lot better than they were, and we love the fact that he's there. We love the fact that the Lakers could be good again because it's great to have a team in Los Angeles. The Los Angeles Lakers should be good, says the former fan. Yeah, well, that's the truth. The Lakers, the Knicks, I'd like some of those teams to be good again. Joe, thanks so much for joining us here. Not too good. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for being on the show. All right. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. 
Thank you for listening to Stanford Pathfinders on Sirius XM Insight. Listen to this and other episodes anytime on demand with the Sirius XM app.